everybody, and welcome to the Sun Also Rises radio show here on KPCG-FM. Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Jeremiah Jacques, and in today's episode, we'll cover three accounts of rescue that happened in the nation of Armenia that I think you'll find very inspiring. And there's actually a fascinating uh, connection between these three stories that we will reveal toward the end. So please stick around for that. But before we launch into these three stories, I wanted to take a moment to issue a quick correction about one of our previous episodes. Back in May of 2016, The Sun Also Rises produced an episode about the Chernobyl disaster of 1986 and about three men who entered some radioactive waters at the plant there to prevent a second explosion from happening. These men were Alexei Anenenko, Valery Bespalov, and Boris Baranov. And the main source that we used for that episode was a detailed 2011 article from a publication called The Scotsman, which is a normally reputable Scottish publication. And that report claimed that the three men died as a result of their foray into those radioactive waters. And it even gave details about their burials. So that was the way we told the story in our episode. But it turns out that, in fact, the three men survived that ordeal. In April of 2018, just this year, the president of Ukraine, President Petro Poroshenko, presented state awards to Alexei Anenenko and Valery Bespalov for their bravery. And he presented the same award posthumously to Boris Baranov, who had died in 2005 from causes unrelated to the Chernobyl disaster. So these men did not die after their dive into the waters at Chernobyl back in 1986. The Sun Also Rises apologizes for this error, and we're thankful to one of our Ukrainian listeners for bringing it to our attention and for sending us the report of Poroshenko giving the men those awards. And I would also just add that the fact that these men survived the ordeal does not detract from the heroism that they displayed. Um, just with their willingness to risk their lives in order to save others. Well, our first story today is a, a fairly brief one, and it happened back on January 8th of 1974 in the Kotaik province of Armenia. And at this time, Armenia was part of the Soviet Union. So on that day, January 8th of 1974, a 20-year-old Armenian man named Shavarsh was riding on a bus full of passengers. There were about 30 people on board, including Shavarsh, and they were traveling on a mountainous road in the Kotaik province. At one point on their trip, the bus began to experience some uh, engine problems of some kind. So the driver parked it along one of the curves right next to a sheer cliff, and he got out to take a look under the hood. Well, the parking brake was either not engaged or not fully engaged, so the bus began to slowly roll toward the edge of the road, toward that cliff. First, it was moving very slowly, and no one on board noticed, but then it started picking up speed, rolling quickly toward the steep edge high up on the mountain. Shavarsh was sitting near the front of the bus, close to the driver's cabin, and there was a glass divider between that cabin 
and the passengers area. Well, the bus started rolling faster and faster, and there was no time to think. Every second counted, so Shavarsh smashed this glass with his elbow. He had jumped into the driver's seat, and he hit the brakes. But apparently, since the engine wasn't on, the brakes weren't working. In one more second, they would be over the edge. But Shavarsh was able to muscle the steering wheel over back toward the other side of the road and away from the abyss. The bus came safely to a stop. Shavarsh saved the lives of about 30 people, including his own that day. Later, during an interview with I.M. Yadravan, Shavarsh really downplayed the whole thing. He said, quote, It's just that I was the closest one to the cab. Our second story for today's episode is a considerably more dramatic one. It also took place in the nation of Armenia, and this one happened on September 16th of 1976. During the cold afternoon of that day, a man named Vladimiri was doing some athletic training beside the Yerevan Lake there in uh, Armenia's capital city, Yerevan. The 23-year-old Vladimiri was at the lake with his younger brother, Kamo. They were both athletes that trained by the lake on most days, and on this particular day, they were toward the very end of a 20-kilometer run that they ran while wearing weighted backpacks. So that's about 12.5 miles with a considerable amount of additional weight added. And as they were on the home stretch of this run, the evening calm was suddenly shattered by the sound of metal smashing into concrete. No one is completely sure what happened with the driver of the number 15 trolley bus that day. The man had a history of heart problems, so it's possible that he suffered a heart attack that caused him to lose control of the vehicle. And there are also reports that an unruly passenger had attacked this driver after they had had a heated argument about something. But whatever the cause, the trolley bus lurched abruptly off its course, careened straight down a bank, and nosedived right onto a concrete slab beside Lake Yerevan, and then finally it rolled into the lake, along with 92 passengers. These passengers were university students, school children, factory workers, housewives, and all kinds of other people. Well, Vladimiri didn't hesitate. He ditched his weighted backpack, sprinted to the side of the lake, and jumped in. The water was extremely cold, and the trolley bus had sunk fast. It had hit the bottom at a depth of 33 feet. That's a depth considerably too deep for an untrained person to be able to dive to effectively, especially in such cold conditions, and especially after having just ran an exhausting 12 and a half miles. But Vladimiri was not untrained. He was actually Armenia's number one swimmer by many metrics, and he'd broken numerous records, including world records, for various kinds of conventional swimming and fin swimming. And in fin swimming, there's a lot of focus on breath holding, 
and diving. So Vladimir had a unique set of skills, world-class skills, really, that made him well-suited for this situation. And when the trolley bus vanished into the water, he didn't hesitate to put those skills to use to try to help the passengers. Only about 20% of light from the surface makes it past 30 feet, so it was terribly dark down there. And the low light combined with the hurricane of silt that had been kicked up by the crash made it just barely above zero visibility. There's also about one atmosphere of pressure at that depth, so that makes it about twice the pressure that we experience at the surface. But Vladimir made it to the back of the trolley bus, and holding on to one of the poles that connected to the vehicle, he managed to kick through the glass with his foot. His leg was severely cut in the process, but he was able to get inside, and by feeling around in the dark, he was able to locate a passenger, grab him, and bring him up to the surface. Vladimir's brother, Kamo, was also a world-class swimmer, but he was not on par with his older brother. So Vladimir asked Kamo to stay on the surface and to pull the people he rescued to safety and to be ready to help if Vladimir himself needed to be rescued. So after handing that first passenger off to Kamo, Vladimir went back down again. He groped around on the bus and found another person and pulled her out of the vehicle and up to the surface and handed her off to Kamo. By this time, Kamo and the brother's coach had flagged down a small boat and they were floating above the wreck site. The coach had some medical training, so he was able to offer vital assistance to the passengers and just, you know, help them recover once they were in his hands. Precious seconds were passing for the passengers. But up on the boat, they could see large air bubbles rising up from the trolley bus and then just bursting at the surface. So they knew that at least some of them could probably breathe down in the bus, but not for long. Vladimir was injured, but he went back again and again and again, 33 feet down each time into those frigid, murky waters as his leg kept on bleeding. And he pulled injured passenger after injured passenger up to the surface. He would hand the people to Camo, and Camo would lift them up to their coach on the boat. Many spectators were gathered at the scene within a few minutes, and a few others tried to make the deep dive to save more passengers, but no one else could do it. So Vladimir kept going back down. One more, one more, one more. It took Vladimir only about 40 seconds for each dive. On the surface, he would use a technique of intentional hyperventilation to be able to go back under again quickly. Five huge breaths in and out, and then a sixth giant breath that he would hold and then plunge under. One of the spectators watching the rescue operation from the shore was the boy's father. He had arrived to watch his son's train that day, and every time he saw Vladimir go back under, he would hold his breath until he appeared on the surface again. Later, the father said, quote, That day, I died many times. Most of the dives lasted about 40 seconds, but Vladimir went down at one point, and a minute passed. Then Kamo dived under to see what was wrong. 
Thirty more seconds passed with no sign of either of them. By this time, hundreds of people were there, gathered around their father. They all held their collective breath. Finally, both brothers came up, with Vladimir gasping for breath. By this time, his body was lacerated and bruised in multiple places, and the oxygen deprivation and all the abrupt changes in pressure and in temperature were taking a serious toll on him. But he dived down again and again. Vladimir wanted to save them all, but time was against him. With almost every minute, more of the passengers were dying. Back on the surface, a team of firefighters were working to pull the entire trolley bus out of the water. They had two cranes there, ready to lift it. And all that was left to do was to attach one of the crane's cables to the vehicle. So Vladimir dived down one last time, holding the heavy cable. It was at least his 30th dive of the day. He ended up having to break another window on the trolley bus so that the cable could be threaded through the two openings. And then he pushed toward the surface, pulling the cable along with him. As soon as he surfaced, Vladimir handed the cable off and the crane operator began towing the trolley bus out. And then Vladimir lost consciousness. For the next 45 days, he was in a coma. He had double pneumonia, lung complications, and severe blood infections. He'd also contracted sepsis from raw sewage that was in the lake water. His life was hanging by a thread, and the doctors didn't know if he would pull through. For a month and a half, he remained in the hospital unconscious, just fighting for his life. When the 23-year-old Vladimir finally woke up, he learned that out of the 30 or so people he had brought to the surface, 20 of them had survived and were doing well. Nine other passengers had been able to get to the surface themselves through the windows that Vladimir had broken. Around 55 days after the rescue, Vladimir finally left the hospital. He tried to resume his career as a world-class swimmer, and he did end up breaking one more world record in fin swimming. But swimming underwater hurt his badly scarred lungs, and it made him very nauseous. So he had to quit the sport at the very apex of his athleticism. But he said that that was a small price to pay for having been able to save all those lives. In an interview, Vladimir said his only regret about the situation was that he didn't save more of the drowning passengers. He said, quote, I knew that I could only save so many lives. I was afraid to make a mistake. It was so dark down there that I could barely see anything. On one of my dives, I accidentally grabbed a seat instead of a passenger. I could have saved a life instead. That seat still haunts me in my nightmares. But Vladimir did save so many. And several authors who have written about this rescue have discussed just how extraordinary it was that only a handful of men in all the world could have made that dive so many times to save so many people. And that one of them happened to be right there on the scene when that crash occurred. And he was willing to risk his life and lose his health to help. Some authors have called that a cosmic coincidence. 
Others have called it a miracle. Our third and final story of this episode is another brief one that takes place once again in Soviet Armenia. This one happened on February 19th of 1985. Early on the morning of that day, at the Sports and Concert Arena, which is there on the hill of Sitzernakabard, a terrible fire broke out. The flames were taking over more and more of the structure. Parts of the legendary arena were collapsing, and firefighters were losing the battle. As the inferno blazed, a 31-year-old man named Karapetya was working at a nearby building. He'd just recently arrived at work, and a secretary burst into his office and told him about the fire just down the street. Here's what the famous Armenian journalist Zori Balian wrote about what happened next. In such critical moments, some people turn the gears of their mind to autopilot. Their reactions time up to the highest limits, and they act before the impulses reach their conscience. For Karapetya, human dignity prevailed over the basic instinct of survival. Karapetya picked up the water hose from someone's weakening hands and aimed the powerful water stream on the raging fires. He was amidst a scene of terror, people screaming, walls of the building collapsing, and the firefighters losing consciousness, choking on smoke, and then an explosion. Karapetya could not recall how he had appeared in the intensive care unit of the hospital. He was unconscious when the emergency squad had rushed him in. Witnesses said that since Karapetya had run inside to fight the flames and to douse them from their uh, hottest point, he was the main reason the fire didn't spread to other structures, and he was the main factor that led to it finally being extinguished. Karapetya ended up spending 10 days in the hospital, being treated for burns and severe smoke inhalation, and then for another month he recovered at home. Well, you may have been doing the math there and noticed that the age of the hero in each of these three stories kept on increasing in exact proportion to how much time passed between each story. And you may have noticed that these heroic acts of rescue all happened fairly close to each other within Armenia. And the reason for those similarities is because the hero in these three stories is all the same man. His full name is Shavarsh Vladimiri Karapatyan. He was born on May 19th of 1953, and on three separate occasions he risked his life and even suffered greatly in the last two situations there in order to save people's lives. And all of that is in addition to his athletic accomplishments as a multiple record holder and a world champion in fence winning. He's basically a real-life superhero. I think that if Shavarsh Karapetyan had lived in ancient Greece, he and everything he accomplished would have been enshrined in their mythology, alongside the exploits of figures like Achilles. But there's nothing mythological about Karapetyan. When he was young, starting all the way back around age six, he trained incredibly hard. To become a champion, he had to exert astounding effort, day after day, week after week, and year after year. And with that training, and with just staggering levels of grit, he took his ability to the absolute limits, and then even a little bit past the established limits. 
That kind of accomplishment requires an unusual mindset. Athletic ability at that level is, in a way, the nearest thing there is to having actual superpowers, in this life anyway. And then Shavarsh ended up using those skills and powers for something other than athletic competition. He used them to save lives and to help others. Mr. Gerald Fleury is the presenter of the Kiev David program here on KPCG FM, and he wrote a book recently called How to Be an Overcomer. And this book addresses a lot about the kind of training and conquering and achieving and overcoming that we've been discussing. And it does so in a way that's accessible and applicable to every one of us. This book is just chock full of instruction and wisdom that every one of us can benefit from so much. And it's available for you at no charge. If you'll just go to thetrumpet.com and click on the literature tab and you'll see how to be an overcomer in the list there. Shavarsh Vladimiri Karapatyan ended up being awarded the Medal for the Salvation of the Drowning. He was also given the Order of the Badge of Honor, and he received a UNESCO Fair Play Award. In the 1980s, a main bell asteroid that had just been discovered was also named after him. It's called the 3027 Shavarsh. Since 1993, Shavarsh has been living a simple life with his family in Moscow, Russia. They own and operate a shoe shop there called Second Breath. So next time you're in Moscow, be sure to pop in and shake the hand of this incredible man. Well, thank you for tuning in to The Sun Also Rises today here on KPCG-FM. Our email address is tsar at kpcg.fm, and our Twitter handle is tsar underscore radio show. We'll leave you today with a quote from Mr. Shavarsh Vladimir Karapatyan himself. He said, Anyone can find himself in a place where somebody needs help, and more than once, too. The main thing is to remember what makes you human. <laughs> <laughs>